0: Welcome to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host. Having a great niche results in making more money because of better operating margins, a competitive advantage, more efficient processes, and a more streamlined business development effort. Today's guest, Chris Winterhalter, CEO and co-founder of Hotel Rehabs, specializes in hotel rehabs all over the country. His clients are the world's biggest hotel brands, and his business is growing at an impressive clip. So today we have with us a man who is a fellow Buckeye State uh, refugee. He's now in uh, the wonderful, uh, windy city of Chicago. And uh, he is in a slightly different asset class than most of the people I speak to, which is why I'm so excited to have him, just because it's a a different flavor. He's in the hotel business, the hotel rehab business, so very interesting topic uh, du jour. Uh, He is Chris Winterhalter, the CEO and founder of Hotel Rehabs. Uh, a national hotel renovation contractor and he is also the managing director of sustainable ventures and they specialize in distressed multifamily. so chris has done a lot of cool things he's been abroad interesting guy chris welcome to street smart success
1: roger thank you very much for having me i'm
0: excited to be here today you you got it and uh, i love the wind up man and so I know you're from near the Queen City but but not exactly I think somewhere near Indiana where where did the Chris winter halter uh, story start
1: yeah so I'm from the west side of Cincinnati about 30 minutes from downtown and it's a little town called Harrison Ohio uh, and essentially we had a street in downtown that on one side of the street it was Ohio and the other side of the street it was Indiana so. If you ever wanted to flee state lines you were right there <laughs> you didn't have to go far didn't have to go far was that town on
0: the river
1: no it was not on the river um so you'll see you know obviously the river separates from downtown uh, Ohio and Kentucky across the river and then you'll you know that it'll continue the Ohio River um, from there but um, where I was on the west side we were we were on the Indiana border but not um, over the river so
0: I see did your folks work in Cincinnati
1: they did my, my dad was a paper science engineer uh, not something you hear about every day um, and he and he worked for a company um, actually in Hamilton which was uh, not in downtown Cincinnati, but maybe about 20 minutes, um, in kind of a separate older little city. And um, so he worked for a company called Champion Paper that got bought out by International Paper. Um, and um, yeah, he was a paper science engineer. And so
0: you went to UC, the uh, home of the Bearcats, and did you live on campus or did you were you commuting? I guess 30 miles is a long way for a commute, but what did, what did you do?
1: No, I lived on campus, so first year I lived on campus, um, and then the, the rest of my um, undergrad I lived off-campus. So, Roger, I know you uh, lived off-campus, I believe, uh, a great, uh, great little college town, and actually, if you've been back any time recently, it's actually changed quite a bit from, um, uh, you know, 15, uh, 18 years ago, so... <laughs>
0: One of the times I went back was in 2011. Prior to that, it would probably been 20 years, frankly. And I hate to be, you know, I hate to be like um, maudlin or what would be the right word or whatever. But I almost cried because Cincinnati is in my heart. I have a tremendous amount of nostalgia for it. It's where I went to college. It's where I started my career. And I felt as though it was a different century. Uh, well, it was, <laughs> actually. And uh, it, it was even then unrecognizable. So, uh, And I have been back subsequently. I was even back about a year and a half ago. And so now I'm just used to it. But, you know, all of that development, I want to say on Vine Street. Yeah, not not Vine Street. Vine Street is kind of blighted out but what's the street not that our listeners will care but what's the street that like calhoun dorm is on like what where it's all that new development
1: oh well so i mean there's i mean when was the last time you you were in cincinnati about
0: a year and a half ago
1: yeah so um i mean they've they've redeveloped and uh, like on campus and off campus they've redeveloped all of that including so up by oh, the calhoun dorms i I'm drawing a blank to to what that um, street is. yeah, they redid all of it, like massive redevelopment there and then really kind of around the the whole uh, city. but if you if you looked at essentially, like, when you, were, when you were in school, I was in school. If you took where Cincinnati was in Clifton at the top of the hill, and then kind of at the bottom of the hill was downtown, like, that area between there was, you know, uh, quite distressed. And uh, they're still distressed there, but they've started to close the gap on, like, big development uh, projects through there, which is pretty cool.
0: When we were there a year and a half ago, we stayed at an Airbnb, and they said that they were in over the Rhine, but it actually... Te- which technically may have been true, although I don't think so. But that they this this house was exactly where you were describing or was between the university between the university and over the Rhine, which was obnoxious, but it was okay. So how did you uh, wend your way from the University of Cincinnati into the real estate business?
1: It's a good question. So, growing up, I was uh, always had kind of this entrepreneurial mindset, and was you know always wanted to start my own business. So I you know went to school as an undergrad, and one of my minors was entrepreneurship, and I kind of kept that interest at the top of my mind. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to to do something, and I wanted to do it sooner than later. And so I ended up studying abroad in Latin America. Um, my junior year and uh, I was supposed to stay down there in, uh, in Costa Rica for three months, stayed six months, kind of fell in love with Latin America and then um, ended up going to Mexico for my last quarter of school um, to kind of complete a, a Spanish minor as well. And so I knew I had a passion for business and entrepreneurship, and uh, but also had this kind of passion for Latin America. And so I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but um, I ended up uh, kind of putting this plan together that I was gonna move to San Diego um, and uh, with with a buddy and after graduation and figure figure out how we were gonna uh, start investing in real estate. Didn't really know what we were doing, didn't really have really much money at all um, and went there and ended up getting a corporate job and uh, served uh, tables at night to try to make extra cash, uh, slept on an air mattress, m- multiple versions trying to save up cash. The, the first version was a camping air mattress. Uh, you shouldn't sleep on a camping air mattress for an um, extended period of time. I had, a, <laughs> I had a buddy come visit me and he was like, "You." you're actually sleeping on this? What are you doing? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to save up a bunch of money so I can start a real estate investment company. You know, I was 20, I don't know, 22. At 22, you know, you you don't always know everything. And, um, and so he bought me this like really nice air mattress. It had like lumbar support. And that was like a huge upgrade for me. And uh, so I was working this corporate job, serving tables. Every single hour of my day was filled with, you know, either kind of making money to start a business uh, or this real estate investment business or learning what I was going to do to start it. And so the learning portion was, okay, what can I do? Read every single book in the world. Uh, Try to talk to as many people as possible. Try to go to the, you know, the real estate um, club meetings, Um, you know. Go, go to seminars, of which you know some some are good and some are bad, um, and you know just kind of be a sponge on learning things. So this was this was two thousand. This was like the end of two thousand eight, um, you know two thousand nine, and and uh, you know if you remember what was happening around that time, uh, it was pretty pretty crazy um, economically and um, particularly on the real estate market. So. I remember I had, I had this corporate job and, and they had just promoted me, been working there, I don't know, less than a year. And I had this you know, plan of what I wanted to do from starting a real estate business. And um, I essentially went in to, to, to quit. And I think like the day before Lehman Brothers went down <laughs> and, and, and I told them I'm going you know, to start a real estate investing business. And I get they laughed at me, <laughs> uh, and uh, I was like, I'm I'm going to go for broke, um, and and so kind of the, the the journey the, the journey to get to that point was first was like okay I'm going to we're going to look in, we're in San Diego let's look in San Diego we're you know we're, we're figuring uh, uh, trying to figure things out um, and you know we were looking at real estate and also you know, had very limited capital. And what we ended up doing was we had met some people a real estate club, a conference that were investing back in the Midwest. And um, so uh, we decided to kind of pull, pull back on investing in San Diego because you know of, of the dollar amounts, although every single dollar amount you know, in San Diego that we were looking at real estate for, we should have bought it obviously in 2009. Um, I think that's generally the case for for most things, except for malls, but Class C malls. But um, uh, we ended up investing back in the West, and so we um, we got some introductions to you know set of realtors, you know, kind of the the initial real estate team. And before I quit my job, I had um, I had ended up I kind of learned how to flip a house. So my first deal was I got a HUD house under contract. And I flipped it in a double close in kind of a wholesale situation. And I made like, I don't know, five grand. And I was like, hmm, I can do this. I, I could, what if I, you know, if I do this you know, three times a month, um, two times a month, you know, um, and, uh, and then just keep trying to figure out how to grow it. And, and so I had two other houses under contract that I had planned uh to wholesale or if i couldn't wholesale i had kind of a, a rehab rental flip plan in place and so like at that point where i did the first deal had it closed had my first five grand i ever made was real jacked up um uh that's when i quit uh, my job and and the second two deals i had under contract i actually wasn't able to wholesale them and flip them and um, and so I ended up uh, figuring out how to rehab them and worked then to refinance and rent them. Um, and um, and so you know that was that was kind of the first foray into this real estate business.
0: Where were those properties?
1: So they were in St. Louis.
0: Did you go to St. Louis when when you couldn't uh, wholesale the second and third for the renovations
1: i traveled back and forth and um but for i don't know like the first um first couple years i just mainly traveled back and forth i ended up going there and spent and and spent more significant time kind of later but i was just pretty much managing it from afar which was um, you know, a little uncommon in, back in 2009.
0: Well, you know, for I love St. Louis. I think it's a super cool town, but that's neither here nor there. So so that's what you did. And then did you, so you said you were going back and forth for a while. So Chris, did you then do more of of that, more of the buy and, and rehab and flip more houses in St. Louis? Or what did you do?
1: Yeah. So, you know, essentially I, I kind of, you know, built out a rough business plan of wh- what I wanted to do, and and essentially, um, you know, had this plan of okay, we can have this wholesale business model, and. And kind of refined the wholesale business model into more lead generation for you know uh, foreclosure and short sales, and so I had I had a partner set up that was based in St. Louis that could do the short sales. Um, I brought and negotiated the the lead and the contract, and then um, we would um, we would we would split um, the sale on the backside and so i was building up uh kind of the the wholesale pieces you know one one business channel and then on the single family side we had this plan we're gonna buy and and significantly renovate and sell uh, and flip um you know a couple dozen houses and so i had actually at a at a conference a little later i had met my actually current business partner still to this day um, who um, I kind of pitched this idea to, and, um, and and came on board to you know h- uh, help you know for financing, cash, and and um, and all kind of the aspects of what we were doing, and so that was another piece. So we we started um, essentially really kind of a, a flipping business um, where some of the flips were like we did I think. Quite a few also historic gut renovations where we're doing large down to the stud heavy masonry work, you know, reframing all mechanicals, all roof systems, you know, some like rebuilding, you know, sections of walls, um, and um, and you know, all the way down to you know, more simple uh, flips as well. And so it, that actually turned into you know, a um, kind of a bigger piece, and then. And then the third piece, which we, w- we really wanted the first two to funnel up into the third piece, and was that we wanted that cash to funnel into apartment buildings.
0: Hey, Street Smart listeners, I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the PL. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the 6th largest insurance property broker in the US. If you want a roll your sleeves up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, Vice President, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467 5909 you'll be glad you did
1: and so you know back then really you know passive cash flow and investing in multi-families was kind of the third piece of that puzzle and what we eventually wanted to to really fully be into And, and i back back then i i didn't i didn't know what i didn't know but um generally like research, understanding, and belief in how much multifamily is going to grow based on all these factors has kind of played out. I just wish I would have bought a lot more, but, um, uh, but uh, you know, they, so that third um, function of, of multifamily is we started investing in small buildings. So the first building we bought was a 12-unit building that was you know in foreclosure that we bought from the bank, or that was, yeah. um, you know, we bought directly from the bank. And, had to renovate it and pretty much replace all the tenants. Then um, we, you know, the 12 unit next door was completely vacant and, you know, we gut renovated that and bought that next to it and, and kind of continued to, to, to buy units, um, you know, really from uh, that kind of 2009 to 2013-ish, uh, 14-ish
0: and was, was Was this all in St. Louis?
1: All in St. Louis, most of it was in like one square mile.
0: I see. And when you, going back, you, you were saying some of these properties that you were fixing up, not not the multifamily, although yes, you were fixing those up too. I get that. But when you say the historical properties, were those single families?
1: Yeah. So some of the historical flips we, we were doing were, were um, really nice single families on these historic streets. And, you know, we have to deal with, we would get like tax abatements and, you know, if there was historical, we didn't get historical tax, tax credits on those, but, um, you know, working with actually, you know, the historical society or whatever, depending on, on uh, where they were located, those were pretty big projects.
0: And, and was that, I know just enough to be dangerous and probably not, I don't even know that much about St. Louis. I've been toured around there a couple times on business and i know like the soulard is this like pre you know antebellum neighborhood that's just gorgeous with homes that are you know brick homes you know again from probably going back to 1840s 1850s what what neighborhood was it
1: yeah so um some of those flips were actually very close to soulard and around those like very similar like what you would would see in, in Sioux Art as far as those old brownstones. And then uh, a lot of our apartment buildings were not too far, uh, you know, I think maybe 10 minutes or so is one of the main neighborhoods from from So that neighborhood has done very well. And that that neighborhood's what, you know, what had um, really been up and coming even before, you know, I would say 2009, you know, before the. That crash, uh, the 09 crash, that that market already really kind of started to develop.
0: They'll you know, say it the nice way, you've got chutzpah, you've got courage, you've got, you know what, the two things between your legs. So you've got, you know, to basically do those, you know, down to the studs rehab, man, not not for the faint of heart. So I, I can imagine having done a number of those projects, man, you, you know, I don't want to say everything, but probably everything there is to know about, you know, residential construction, you know, if not construction overall, that's pretty darn Impressive, man. I mean, and cool. Sounds cool to me.
1: Apparently, I really like to do things the hard way. So,
0: <laughs>
1: I think there was an easier way to make money, but um, uh, but pretty pretty cool. And you know, learned a lot of parts and pieces of the business. And you know, anybody that's flipped a house, like you know, bought a house, renovated it, and flipped it, you know, can it can attest to you know, it is not an easy thing. Sure. You know, you can get lucky and one of those can seem like it's easy, but it is not an easy thing. Um, you know, we had funny stories, like even this one story, we were, we were flipping this house and somehow I got this introduction to um, this ex-NFL player and he uh, he had this construction company and we were talking for a while and he was going to... We were trying to work on this program called "Renovated for You," so we had "Renovated for You," you know, videos, and we were even doing some TV stuff, and you know, te- uh, a lot of YouTube videos, and working on this website where we were trying to essentially, like, I guess, like the Property Brothers and the, uh, the people do now, is hey, let's identify um, a house with a buyer, and you know, we'll, we'll renovate it for you, quote unquote. And um, and so that's how we, we met uh, this ex NFL player that like had this construction company, and you know had, said he had this buyer lined up, and so we uh, we went into this agreement. We bought the house. Um, you know they were supposed to um, they were supposed to renovate the, the whole house, to kind of per the scope of work and agreement, and then they were going to bring the buyer in, and it completely fell apart. This ex NFL player went just like. You know uh he disappeared like completely gone um it was it was the strangest thing, so we had to hire we, we had to bring in one of our other contractors, completely do all the work you know spend an extra i don't know what fifty or sixty grand, you know sell it four months late or whatever and you know, a good lesson And if it seems too good to be true, it is, but an interesting story to, uh, uh, to say the least.
0: So I hear about things being too good to be true. Some, some things uh, never change. Oh, How did you go from, so, you know, you see, start with flipping single families, you go to multifamily. How do you get to what two part question? Do you still own a uh, multifamily in St. Louis? And how did you get into the hotel rehab business?
1: Yeah, so we still own a small uh, portfolio of about 120 units, uh, kind of spread across a handful of buildings, and um, they're they're third party managed by this um, by this small uh, management company that we have worked with from the very beginning, and um, they've. They've they done very well. What multifamily real estate hasn't done um, oh well that was purchased from oh9 to 2013? Very very little. But you um, know they were bought right. They were they were redeveloped right uh, for all value add deals, and and um, the the business plan is played out well. So we we've, we've done very well on those, and you know we we sold some, and um, and we've uh, we've kept a small amount. But how did that translate into you know, my, my business today. So uh, my other business today of, uh, on the hotel side, uh, it's a good question. So my business partner that I met back in 09 was a contractor and he, uh, he had done, um, he worked in kind of a variety of jobs and he was doing some kind of like one-off contracting for this hotel contractor. And, um, you know, he gave me, uh, some exposure to that business. He was shutting down that business and um, he had an opportunity. I don't know, maybe a year after we started uh, the real estate business together uh, to, to do some some hotel construction work. And so we were talking about the business and got I got an opportunity to kind of understand the business side of it um, through. Uh, the lens of the this GC that I was working for. And, you know, like this is a very interesting business. And, you know, construction's tough. So, construction's a very challenging business. It is um, filled with a lot of risk, a lot of financial risk. You know, projects are unique and complex. Um, but the, the one thing that I really liked about the business was essentially there's a lot of recurring repeat repeat business and so if you you know if you have a hotel it has to pretty much renovate every seven years particularly on the branded model so if you if you have a marriott hotel hilton hotel ihg hotel or hyatt hotel and uh there's you know let's say 80 plus brands under those four b- pair brands that the, the those fran, you know, those franchisors, those brands require that the hotels are renovated every seven years, so they're extremely capital intensive. Um, and um, and there, it's like a very niche market. It's 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 higher margin um, than um, your traditional construction, and so um, uh, anyway, uh, the kind of entrepreneurial bug in me said, why don't we? Um, Go out on our own and start this business hotel rehabs. So we can keep investing in real estate and get exposure to the hotel world. Some of some of those things uh, happened, some of those didn't. You know, we um, we've been a little bit dormant on the real estate investment side as it's heated up. Um i be excited to get back in, although I invest a little bit on the passive side of, in private placements. Um, you know, I think my 2.0 Four A will definitely come in the next couple of years in the investment side, but the hotel business essentially has has grown you know really well for us. So we're a national company. You know we've we've worked in twenty five states. Um, you know for example, this year we'll, we'll do you know probably sixty five plus million dollars in revenue. You know we've uh, big growth plans to continue growing that into you know hundred plus um, million dollar business. Um, so. It is. It's been a. It's been a very interesting journey. It's been fun. Um, it's also been so great. We've developed so many amazing relationships with with clients. So a lot of our, you know, private equity. Um, hotel investors you know uh, real estate private equity groups very sophisticated uh, groups and those relationships have been have, have been amazing so so yeah so love entrepreneurship love real estate um, that's a that's a little bit about the journey
0: all right you are one smart man because you saw a vertical niche And uh, a couple podcasts ago, the gentleman I was interviewing said that there's an old Russian proverb, which probably isn't a Russian proverb, but that's irrelevant. It's a proverb nonetheless, and it's this, chase two rabbits and you won't catch either. And so, you know, which speaks to niche and specialization. And you just, you know, you, you hit the nail through the through the board and we're just going to do hotels specifically. And there's so much efficiency around, you know, getting clients and operations and blah, blah, all the stuff that you know better than, than I clearly. Here's my question for you, Chris. Why is that construction higher margin? Is it just the way that, are the hotels all constructed the identical way and it's just kind of super streamlined that way? What what makes it higher margin?
1: I think a couple of things. One, you know, any any specific niche you're bringing, you know, an expertise and knowledge into things that, um, you know, that generalists cannot. So one, uh, we're more efficient um, because we understand the space. But now we, we do have competitors um, uh, in, in our space, but uh, that's one. Uh, two there's a lot of production work so if you think about a hotel room you know you have 200 hotel rooms the differences between those individual rooms are generally fairly minimal um and so you can get into more of an assembly line in the work uh and the works um you know three you know we're we're able to you know we we also do you know, purchasing and design, design build work, uh, where we actually have an FF&E procurement um, uh, uh, department. So we'll, we'll buy furniture from across the world. You know, we buy all of our materials, uh, and so we heavily negotiate those things. Where, you know, if you hire, let's say, a commercial GC, um, you know, to build um, your uh, even even hotel or office building or whatever you want to do. They if they price out the tile package, um, they're going to have their tile installer buy the tile. You know we buy every single part and piece and heavily negotiate it and then handle the labor as a labor only, which also I I think adds to typically adds to the margin. So kind of a handful of things that I think sum up to you know a better margin business.
0: And then you you had said you've been dormant in investing and why is that more dormant? Yeah
1: yeah um, you know some some on um, the prep placement more passive side but um, you know I, I think it's a function of the two rabbits maybe um, where uh, just time you know we've been uh, really growing this business and putting uh, a lot of energy and time into building out the proper systems the proper people and um, and so you know we we kind of stepped away a bit, you know, we, from, from time to time, we, we look at deals. Another piece was probably a mistake, you know, on my end, you know, it's a, uh, market timing is impossible, but, um, you know, in the mid, in the mid kind of, uh, in 2015, you know, 16, 17, I, uh, I thought the market was a little overheated, um, believe it or not. And, uh and was going to put some time into the construction business and uh, return to it, um, you know, at a later date. Um, now, you know, market timing is you know, typically impossible, but um, you, know, you obviously know what's happened with, with real estate over the last 12 years.
0: Well, it, from one Buckeye to another, uh, guess what? 2015, 16, 17, it was overheated. You know, who, who knew, you know, that interest rates would keep plummeting and, you know, you can't. And nobody has a crystal ball again. So I think for all intents and purposes, yeah, you could never know, you know, the handful of stuff you've done passively. Has it been multifamily or has it been hotels? Or what kind of stuff have you done with passive investments? Well,
1: uh, multifamily, typically um, some, some small commercial stuff. Um, I've looked at a lot of hotel deals um, and typically I have a lot of opportunity to invest in those, but um but haven't, um, you know, I probably will, though, there's, you know, the one great plus to of, of, of this business is like I said, I mean, some of our, a lot of our clients and people we've met are you know, very sophisticated, um, you know, groups, so, you know, close friends, people that have 500 million, billion, you know, billion and a half dollars worth of real estate, you know, it is, it's a great long term relationship. Um, And, um, you know, also it's great to have from, you know, kind of the access to to the investment side of it as well.
0: Sure. And then what's the, you know, clearly, you know, come COVID two years ago, uh, wasn't the greatest time for hotels. So as of now, and I actually have a, a, right before that, I actually was and am a passive investor in a hotel in Denver, but it was brand new and actually last year it did well, but what's kind of the status right now of hotels? What's the state of the market? How has it impacted your business? To your point, I guess every seven years, they have to renovate irrespective of what's, what's going on, but how has it impacted you?
1: Yeah, we fared pretty well. You know, because generally you think about, uh, because on the renovation side, uh, there's a huge loss in revenue when you renovate. And so if occupancies are down, depending you have the cash, it's a good time to do that work. Um, so we, de- we definitely were, were impacted on our end, um, but uh, we, we fared, I think, much better than a lot of others. Um, the, and we were able to, to maintain our, our team. You know, the hotel, biz, the hotel uh, business was, you know, was crazy because you had this period of time, March 2020, um where and you know those first handful of months where you had massive layoffs, you had, you know, hotels that were shut down, you had, you know, the market completely decimated. Um, and then, you know, what you we've seen happen over the last few years is you've you've had winners and losers. And then you know you've had a lot of transitional things in, in the market. And so like you know, even summer of twenty twenty, you, you saw resort markets um, and you know domestic leisure travel um, do fair do well, and and last year do very very well, and you know so you've seen a lot of transition in in, in the market, and you've seen records being broke on some things, and you know overall, you know the the market uh, hasn't returned uh, to prior. Uh, to 2019 levels isn't expected to return until next year, I believe. Um, But with that being said, you know, you have corporate, you know, corporate travel, particularly corporate travel in like downtown markets, uh, like Chicago, New York, um, you know, suburban very corporate oriented uh, hotels that have just, that have done extremely poorly. Um, And then you've had others that have done extremely well, you know, whether it's domestic leisure or kind of smaller markets. Um, uh, And so it's been it's definitely been disparate as far as what are the winners and what are the losers. Uh, That disruption, you know, creates opportunity. And so we've seen a lot of people come in and, you know, look at what they're doing differently you know, how can they change their investment plan? How can they double down on what they're doing? So it's, um, I, I believe in hospitality. I, I'm very bullish on it. I think I was before COVID. Um, and I think the next 10 years, you'll see it continue to grow um, and continue to grow in different ways. You know, people are going to continue to travel. Remote work is only good for travel. Um, you know, so people that are mixing business and leisure travel, um, you know, people that are taking more smaller trips, I I think the growth of travel is not going to stop. And I don't think, um, you know, the global pandemic will have, uh, an effect on the long term growth. Will you have some changes, you know, uh, will you have some losers, um, and some major shifts? Yeah. So, you know, like you're in uh, you know, a market like, you know, the Bay Area, you know, is currently done, you know, San Mateo, et cetera, has been crushed by hospitality. And will some of those business-oriented big box hotels go back to pre-levels, you know, before COVID levels? They might not, they might have to retrade at a lower basis. Um, but, um, you know, the, the business of hospitality of people traveling Business, leisure, group—I uh, definitely, wholeheartedly believe will continue to grow in the next ten years. Who would I be
0: to uh, disagree? And I—and I hope you're right. Why is you'd stated earlier, and you know, I mean, some of this is obvious, but not necessarily to a uh, lunkhead like myself. Why is construction so risky? What 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 are the components that are that constitute the risk?
1: It's uh, a good question. Um, so one you have uh, you have you know actual fi- financial risk so you know one trying to appropriately appropriately budget projects manage all the parts and pieces from labor material um, manage cash flow uh, from a cash flow perspective risk from la- you know lack of payment from ownership you know all, all those things Things, particularly if the margins tighter, um, you know, create a lot of risk. Then you have safety risk, right? Actual risk of somebody getting you know hurt on the job site, um, of you know a death, fatality um, risk. Um, you you have a lot of compliance risk um, from you know contractors' license or um, performing work not according to proper standard or code. Uh, so risk to rework it or risk of future safety and financial liability. Um, you know, those are, you know, those are just kind of a, kind of a handful of things um, that are, you know, continue to become even more difficult as there's a you know, labor shortage, as there's more compliance, as there's a lack of skilled labor.
0: Sounds to me like you've experienced a little bit of all of that.
1: you know if uh some 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 scars as long as you make it through generally you know good learning
0: yeah well you're so focused and so concise and so you know yeah you're right of course you're right i mean hospitality is going to do well as long as you know the country continues to grow and there isn't some huge black swan i guess the last question Although I'm famous for saying last question, and then I continue to ask three more. But how does Airbnb and you know Verbo and all that? How does that play into, but you know, I say residential travel or you know um, leisure travel, but even business travel for that matter.
1: Um, You know, from. From a travel, this is this has been kind of an age-old discussion, kind of in the hotel business. So you know, the the hotel conferences, the the Airbnb as short-term rental questions been out there. You know, obviously before Airbnb, you know, vacation rentals existed. There were you know corporate short-term housing and Airbnb, you know, VRBO, you know, et cetera. They opened up a a completely different world. in certain aspects, but also just continue to open the doors on, on other channels that were already there. Um, so, it, you know, a couple things. One, uh, from a corporate travel perspective, generally, you know, the Airbnbs, VRBOs of the world, you know, make up a very small amount um, of that business. And and you know, generally, I don't see the market going away. I don't see them taking a large market share of that. They you know, there's going to be continual innovation, I think, in the industry. But generally, the, the business, of the, the hotel, and business travel, there's you know typically a lot of of synergies there. And personally, if I'm if I'm going on business travel, I'm typically want to stay in a hotel. So I, I, I don't think there's a ton of risk. At least you know, call it the next five ten years from a, from a corporate business travel perspective with AirBnB, um, leisure travel. You know, I think there's a place for both of them, and I think you're gonna continue to see growth in both. Airbnb, um, you know, short-term rentals, vacation rentals did well during COVID. You know, people had more private space, um, but also saw those resort hotels do very well. Um, so I think you'll see both of them grow. Um, I think there's enough market share that is gonna continue to grow where both of them will do well, and there's a place for both. Um, in a big, you know, in the beginning on the hotel business, there was this big push of proper regulation for Airbnb and short-term rentals, and a lot of that is is, is played out to kind of level the playing field. Um, you know, I love hotels. I mean, I'm I'm a little biased, um, but I also love Airbnbs. I stay in them for different reasons, though. Um, you know, longer stays, maybe the right group um, depending on where it is, maybe Airbnb is better. Um, you know, but the, there's kind of pros and pros and cons to both. And, and I think you'll see both of them grow.
0: Yeah. I, I, I the same, the same, someplace we do Airbnb some someplace rather stay in a hotel It kind of depends on the market. And if it's just my wife and me, we're probably more inclined to do a hotel, you know, depends where well let me ask you this you know i've i've asked all my questions i've i've loved the conversation and again i'm impressed with what you're doing it's you're, you're thriving for a reason will continue to very very smart how would one get a hold of you chris if one were so inclined and you were to want them to get a hold of you
1: yeah i mean definitely connect with me on linkedin um one and um yeah uh, also via email um and uh, email at Chris at com. I, uh, I haven't went to the, the long uh, email address for like all my other employees have to, so I still keep the one name.
0: Good. Well, uh, this has been absolutely fantastic. I have a post interview question, so if you don't mind holding for a second, we will adjourn now. and I had a quick question for you. But as far as the audience goes, it's been great talking to you, Chris.
1: Butter, thank you very much. And uh, who did it? Go Bengals.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, man. It, you know, who knows? It's not Kansas City's tough, but uh, we'll, we'll see. You never know. Uh, so in a couple of days, let's have our fingers crossed.
1: Sounds good.
0: Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. <laughs>